Hello, one and all, and welcome back to yet another episode of History Spelunkers, the show where we take a trek through the dark and mysterious caverns of history to bring you tales of the niche and obscure. I am your host, Kelvin, he, him, pronouns, and joining me today are my wonderful, fantastic, and curious co-hosts. Say hi. Hi, I'm Ashlyn. I go by she, her pronouns. Hi, I'm Kelly. Welcome back to the show, y'all. How are y'all doing tonight? Happy to be back. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. a little tipsy, which I think is very appropriate for the subject matter. Yes, because it is that time of year again. We are going to do our Halloween episode. Spooky, spooky. Ooh. Sound effects, yeah. <laughs> uh, so in past editions of this special episode... We've focused more on, like, monsters from folklore Mm -hmm. and kind of, like, done deep dives on the history of individual creatures or cryptids. But I thought we would change it up a little bit this year. And we're not going to talk about monsters. We're going to go down another route of Halloween staples, and that would be slasher films. Ooh. And uh, particularly, we're going to keep it close to home and set them in Texas. So, are y'all big slasher horror film fans? Love it, yes. Yeah, very huge. It's like yeah. a big tradition in my family. We watch a lot of horror movies every year. I have a your f- In your family? Yeah. Together, like with your parents? Yeah, well, not my dad, because he's scared of horror movies, but my mom and I, yes. When I was a kid, we spent... Every October, watching the 31 Days of Halloween from ABC Family <laughs> with supplemental, more gory and horror adjacent and horror movies that my mom like tacked onto our watch schedule. That's so cute. Classic like mother daughter bonding slasher films. Yep. <laughs> yeah, see, my taste in horror, I mean, I've like researched it a bit for like film classes, and so I know a lot about those classic slasher horror films, but mm-hmm. I don't really enjoy watching that type of movie really my uh favorites of horror are uh a different type you know more like alien or the witch or great great uh, haunting of hill house that kind of thing yes i would love to pose a question to the group is i know we're talking about slasher films and of course those are classic great awesome important part of the horror genre but speaking of, you know, the sub-genres in horror, what is everyone's favorite sub-genre in horror? Like, your favorite type of horror movie? Like, you said Aliens. Do you have a favorite, like... I mean, Alien movie? is hands down, like, one of my top three favorite movies of all time. So definitely favorite horror movie. Yeah. Okay, great choice. Kelly, what about you? Um, yeah, I like more psychological horror, too. I guess. I love a good, like, female villain monster, mm-hmm. for sure. Any movie in particular? Um, in my, I, t- I also took a horror movie film class, and the mm. audition is a Japanese film that's, like, very famous Ooh. as a horror film, and I do love that one, and I um, and, and obsessed with it. Highly recommend. Okay, I love that. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm uh, also a bit horror nerd, because mm-hmm. I grew up watching it. It's my mom's favorite genre of movie, and mm-hmm. I was just like to admit it. She loves to watch it. We watch them all together. But I think my favorite is The Houses That October Built, which is this kind of, like, underground kind of... It's, like, it's it's hard to find, almost, like, to watch, but it's basically this found footage 
movie about these group of friends who travel all across the southern United States going to different haunted houses, but then, like, they actually get, like, tracked down and, like, stalked and, like, horrible things happen to them because of, like, them going to all these different haunted houses. So that mm-hmm. one is probably my favorite. It's very mm-hmm. creepy. And it's, like, you kind of can't tell if it's real or not until the very end. What's it called? The Houses That October Built. Okay. That and the Poughkeepsie Tapes. If you don't want to sleep for, like, a week, you should watch the Poughkeepsie Tapes. Okay. We'll watch. And Creep, of course. Oh, so classic. Yeah. Yeah. So classic. <laughs> well... I guess now that we're on it, but so I better go ahead and say it before we get too far in. Uh, Let's dive down this spooky rabbit hole. are going to discuss today okay um you know kept it close to home in texas of course the most famous of slasher films set in texas would be texas chainsaw massacre mm-hmm. a classic so i have you, both of y'all seen it i've seen every version of it yes you've seen all like seven of them no i've seen like the original and the remake i've not watched the sequels okay but I have seen like both the original and the Jessica Alba version. Mm. Which one did you watch for this? I, I watched the 1974 one, the, the, the okay. OG, the classic. I think I've seen the Jessica Alba one, but a long time ago. Honestly, I don't remember. Yeah, she ate and left no crumbs in that movie. That's a hot take, but I do think the remake was really good, actually. Yeah, yeah there's so there's the original 1974. There's the original's sequel, which came out like ten years later. Mm-hmm. And then they rebooted it and had, like, two films with that. And then they rebooted it again with, like, an origin movie. Mm. And then they rebooted it a third time. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I know in one of the reboots, Matthew McConaughey is in it. Mm? Uh-huh. And it, it was, like, the second movie or something that he said his famous all right, all right, all right line in. And he's, like... 
disavowed it because it's so bad <laughs> and tries to like distance his trademark all right all right all right from that movie even oh though God. he does say it in the film how old was he like at what point in his career was this movie uh, made? i've I, never heard of this see i can look it up real quick so clearly his his attempt to distance himself is working because i've never I, heard of him being in that movie yeah i had no idea he was in this because i watched like a compilation of every time he says all right all right all right in a movie and it was one of them oh my god so it was 1995 wow. with renee zwellweger zellweger they were both in a that's crazy here's what the poster that's looks so like. iconic i love it they were that i cannot believe they had two such famous people in what is probably such a trash movie and i didn't know about it yeah no it it's from what I've heard, it is nowhere close to being as good as the OG one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, for those who have not seen it, 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre is considered one of like the premier and first slasher films of the genre. So, and it's very foundational in establishing a lot of what would eventually become tropes of the genre. It was directed by Toby Hooper for less than $140,000. Wow. And it grossed over $30 million in the domestic box office. Wow. Which is, like, huge. And that's despite it having an R rating and a lot of places trying to ban it because of how violent it was. And basic gist is you got this guy, Leatherface is his name, and he goes around chasing people with chainsaws but he the character of leatherface has gone on to be like one of the big pillars of the rogues gallery of slasher villains like jason or freddy krueger and those type of people so i watched it it's a very good movie even just like i was there's some parts of it where it's like oh obviously horror has evolved so much in the almost 50 years now mm -hmm. that it's been around in terms of what they are allowed to get away with on film mm -hmm. but even though it had this you know low budget um it was very cinematic to watch so it the movie starts off with like this Star Wars-esque word scroll basically mm -hmm. that sets up the premise um, and it has like a narrator that reads it and it th through the narration and the like bits of radio that you hear at the beginning of the opening credits it the movie presents itself as if it was a true event that happened starts off through this narration and you're hearing these weird noises and this radio stuff and uh comes to find out that we are hearing the noises of someone digging up graves Ooh. and then taking pictures of the bodies that he is mutilating and we get to see like the flashes from the camera bulb so it's and it ramps up so that's like a really weird freaky moment and then after like the initial credits stuff go, we the sun rises and we get to see the product of his work in all its very gross, like wet, 
skeleton corpse thing. He's built the statue on top of a gravestone. Very, very physically gross looking corpse. And that's what sets up. Then we hop to like our normal story, which mm-hmm. is we're following a group of young 20-somethings that are basically taking a road trip to this graveyard to see if their grandfather who was buried there was one of the corpses that got disturbed, basically. Yikes. So they're checking up on that sort of thing just to make sure that he was all right. He was. Okay. His corpse was not disturbed. And so they're driving back home, basically, Mm -hmm. is the premise of the story. And then all the bad stuff happens to them on their drive back home. Just a casual spring break trip with the rose. Well, it's late August is whenever it takes mm. place. So it's hot and you you can really feel like how hot and uncomfortable it is in this van that they are driving in with no AC. And mm. Their grandfathers, they're all like brothers and sisters and cousins. So it's a brother, sister, and then two of their friends who are a couple. Okay. Um, I do remember this, yes. And... They, they are made out to be very much like hippie types. They're talking about astrology on the way over and talking about how all their astrology sucks right now. Oh, good. <laughs> like Saturn's in retrograde. <laughs> Something's never changed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. They're, they're going through all this stuff. Well, the first bad thing that happens to them is because it's the 70s and they're like hippie type people, they pick up a hitchhiker mm. on the side of the road because it's hot outside. And, uh, you know, they're chatting with him and whatever. And, you know, things are going all right. It's it's uncomfortable, this conversation. He's a weird dude that they pick up. He has, like, long, scraggly hair and, like, a birthmark that covers half of his face. Real gnarly-looking teeth. Mm-hmm. But he, he hasn't, like, done anything. And so they're talking with him, figuring out about his life and whatever. And then he takes out a knife... <gasps> And cuts his hand in front of all of them. And just like gouges his hand. And then they're all just watching him do this. And they don't kick him out. They're just like, that was weird. And then he... So one of the the brother of the brother-sister pair. His name's Franklin. He's in a wheelchair. And uh, so he's just sitting back there talking with this hitchhiker guy. And... The hitchhiker guy, after cutting his hand open, and they're all just fine with that, he gets out, like, a Polaroid camera and takes a picture of Franklin and then shows him the picture, and he's like, oh, that's... It didn't turn out very well and tries to get Franklin to pay him for the picture. Mm. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. So he takes the picture back, the hitchhiker, takes out some gunpowder and lights it on fire, and so it, like, explodes in the back of their van... That freaks everybody out, and then he starts attacking Franklin, and so they finally kick him out of the car. But it took way too long for that to happen, in my view, of just, like, normal human being interactions. Yeah, yeah wait, why did he cut his hand? Does uh, it ever explain, like, what their reason? Like, even later in the movie? Does even it ever later explain? in the movie, you figure out. Okay, But, okay. Um, yeah, he, he, like, cuts his hand, and they kick him out, and he, like, marks... The band with like he wipes his blood on it and like draws a symbol. That cannot be sanitary. Ooh, and the uh, symbol and blood. Yeah, and the, so they drive off. And what does the symbol look like? Do you remember? It. It looks like an X, but one of 
the bottom legs of it like curves back in on itself. Mm. So almost like someone was doing like one of those Jesus fish, but it was like yeah. upside, like a vertical, but they didn't finish it all the way, basically. I see. I see. Um, and so that happens. And then they drive off and they're like, wow, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Franklin's like banging up his arm because he got cut with a pocket knife. Or Franklin. Yeah. Um, I love that if that happened now, that would just be on someone's like Instagram live. Like yeah. you would just be watching that. Or it'd be like a tweet that someone would be talking about. Um, so yeah, that happened. And then they end up stopping at a gas station because they're about to run out of gas. Gas station doesn't have any gas. They're empty. And so the nearest one is back in the opposite direction. Mm, like, oh. okay, well, we have to do that. Because um, we don't know when the tanker's going to come and get us some gas. So they, like, get some food. And they're asking about um, their old family home, like their grandparents' house that was in the area. It's been abandoned. But they're like, isn't that, like, close by here? And he's like, yeah, I think it is, but it's abandoned. So you guys really shouldn't be going, checking out that kind of stuff, you know. Who's telling them this? The gas station attendant. Okay. He's like coming out and they're just chatting with him. And Franklin asks him about the old house. He's like, yeah, I think it's a couple blocks, you know, like up a couple streets away, but it's abandoned. Don't go messing around on people's property or whatever. Smart advice, all yeah. things considered. Mm hmm and so they're driving back now to another gas station to fill up in the opposite direction. They pass by the house. And so they decide to check it out because they're 20-somethings and are looking for adventure. So they're digging through this old house and I guess just totally forget that they need to go get gas because awesome. the couple decide that they want to go swimming at a swimming hole that's like back on the property. And so Franklin, like, tells them what trail to follow, and they go off to skinny dip and whatever. You know, it's insinuated that... Be sluts in the forest. Exactly. Yeah. And then it's... So, da, da, da. Sorry, there's a fifth person. Sorry. Um, Sally has a boyfriend also. Sally is the sister of Franklin. Um, okay. And so, yeah, it's Sally... And Franklin, their last name's like Hardesky or something. And then it's Sally's boyfriend, Jerry. And then Kurt. And then the other girl's name, I don't remember. Slut number one. Exactly. The movie would have you believe. Yes. <laughs> and so Kirk and the girlfriend, they go to the swimming hole. There's no water there. Mm. But while they're back there, they see another house. And they hear gas generators running. So they're like, hey, they have gas. We can, like, buy some gas off of them to make sure that we can get to this other gas station. And, you know, whatever. Let's go talk to them. Oh, God. Not an illogical thought, but they don't know the world in which they're living. Right. And so they get there. There's a lot of, like, abandoned vehicles there, which is kind of weird. But the house itself looks nice. It's, like, painted white. There's flowers, a little swing set. Knock, no one answers, but the door's unlocked. No. Mm -mm. No. And uh, Sally, uh, no, not Sally, uh, slot number one, they called her. <laughs> Hot slot number yes. one, yeah. Uh, she goes and like sits on the front porch swing to just wait for a bit, I guess. And Kirk goes inside looking. He's like, anybody home, whatever. 
oh, look at all those taxidermied animals up on the wall. That's weird. He walks over to it, trips, Leatherface comes out, whacks him with a hammer, shuts the door. <gasps> and girlfriend's just sitting outside, has no clue. And then she's like, hmm, Kirk's been away for a couple minutes. Where are you? She goes, peeks inside. Oh, no. Um, and then she gets yeah. got. Yeah. But uh, he, she, like, walks inside, finds a room, content warning, but I guess it's a horror episode about slashers, so you already knew that. And it's a 50-year-old movie, yeah, so. Yeah. Um, so she walks into a room that is, like, covered in furniture made out of human skeletons. Very bespoke. Just casually, and, like, the floor is just covered in feathers Ugh. and other bits of gore. She freaks out. Leatherface comes back, sees her, grabs her before she can get away, takes her into the kitchen, puts her up on a meat hook, oh. and then gets back to cutting up Kirk with a chainsaw. Oh, brutal. And she's just alive on the meat hook. Yes. Oh, oh God. Um, so yeah, that happens. Then we oh. cut back to the rest of the group, and they're like, it's been like an hour or so, we haven't seen them. So Jerry goes <laughs> to try and find the couple, because he's like, ah, oh, these kids are f***ing in the woods, I gotta go grab them, you know, we gotta go. Basically, long story short, he gets to the house, he gets killed. Jerry? Oh yes. At this point? Yes. So now the only people that are left are the brother and sister, Sally and Franklin. Okay. The only ones who presumably are not having sex in this movie. Exactly. With each Whoa. other. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's safe to assume. They are They are not the best of friends. Okay. Um, with Franklin being in a wheelchair, it seems like th there's like some dynamic going on there okay. where it's like, why did you have to come along? It's annoying to like put these ramps to get you in and out of this van. I can't push you everywhere, you know. They're working through some stuff. But I will say, as a whole, they treat him being a disabled person fairly well. Like, yeah, they kind of forget him on occasion. and But it's it's not like actively hateful towards him. Yeah, for the time that it was made, that is sadly like a pretty benevolent, I guess, take on a disabled person in a movie, unfortunately. Right. And so, uh, anyways... Now just this last two, it's nightfall, and they're like, no one's shown back up. Where did they go? They have the keys to the van. Well, shit, we gotta go find them now, except oh, it's dark, no. and we can't really, we don't want to split up because Franklin's in a wheelchair, and so they go off trekking through the woods to no. try and find them with a flashlight. This seems like a horrible idea. Halfway through, Leatherface jumps out with a chainsaw and kills Franklin. <gasps> Franklin! Yeah, Wait, and this is all happening, like, how long has the movie been going on at this point? This seems like there's not really a lot of lead-up. It's just, like... The movie's 90 minutes long. Wow. So, so this it's, is... I mean, this is actually somewhat far into the movie, because okay. a lot of, like, the chase scenes mm -hmm. around the house take a little bit of time. Okay. I would say this is probably, like, around the halfway point. Wow. Damn. So halfway in, we've already lost every character except... One. Except Sally. And Leatherface. Okay. And so 
then at this very long chase scene happens where Sally's just running around screaming, being chased by a guy with a chainsaw in the middle yeah. of the night. Mm-hmm. She runs into the house and it's the finds murder. all the gross stuff, the yeah. murder house, the and murder. so she runs back out. Eventually she makes it to the gas station, the original mm-hmm. gas station where they're getting a movie. The guy's there. She manages to get inside before Leatherface gets to her. And so she's like hyperventing, oh, we need to get to like a hospital or something, you know, uh, get cops here. And he's like, I don't have like a phone at this gas station, but we can drive to like the hospital, you know, whatever. So he goes to get the truck. Ha mm. ha. Actually, he's going to kidnap her and take her back to the house. Beats her up and ties her up, takes her back to the murder house. Turns out he is the father of the hitchhiker from the beginning of the movie. And the hitchhiker is also Leatherface's brother. Oh my goodness. And so big ol' happy family reunion. They tie her up uh, in the house, set her down for dinner at this table with all the human skeleton furniture, oh. presumably eating Kirk. Oh, and, uh, oh. oh, Grandpa's there, too. Her Grandpa? Oh, their Grandpa. Yeah, uh, Leatherface Grandpa. Okay. Who's, like, this shriveled old man in a chair, like, pale, pasty white. Um, but he's hungry, and so they oh. cut Sally's finger. Is she and, alive still at this yes, point? Yes, she is alive. <gasps> like, she's alive, screaming, all that stuff. Still on the meat hook, presumably. Uh, no, that, the girl from... It was the other, slut number one was the one on the meat hook. Okay, sorry, so she's already... She got put in the uh, icebox in the freezer. So she's dead. Yeah. Okay. She, like, the icebox gets opened and she has, like, a weird, like, spasm while I'm alive, but she's like, get back in the box. And okay, so, yeah, she's, she's done. Dead. Um, so it's just Sally. She has not been put on a meat hook yet, um, but she does oh get God. her finger cut and then Grandpa comes and, like, drinks from her oh, finger. Oh, oh my God. And does, like, a little happy dance. Did they, like, make her eat Kirk, too? Uh, I mean, she doesn't actually eat any of the food, but you're assuming that that's what they're eating. Because it's, like, sausages and stuff. Oh, my God. Um, You know, they have this conversation. They're like, okay, we're going to kill you now. And so they go to, like, whack her over the head with a hammer. But she escapes. Runs around. Da-da-da-da. And it's now daytime again. Like Dawn, she manages to run out to the highway with Leatherface with a chainsaw and the hitchhiker with a knife chasing <gasps> after her. Hitchhiker like gets is right there and is like cutting her actively as she's running. Um, runs out into the highway. Semi truck is there. Runs over the hitchhiker. <gasps> so Ace move. She manages to escape him, but Leatherface is still come with the chainsaw, and so she manages to like do like a once around through the semi truck to get away from Leatherface and they and now the semi truck driver just showed up and he's like what the fuck is going on here (laughs) so they're running down the highway he takes like a wrench and chucks it back at Leatherface hits him so Leatherface falls over another pickup truck comes by Sally manages to hop into the bed of that pickup truck and they speed off right before Leatherface can get to her Leatherface does like this weird psychotic dance is the sun is rising and then the movie ends wow so that was a lot more in-depth plot than i was originally intentionally wanting to do 
But uh, mm. yeah, like I said, very cinematic and beautiful to watch at some points. Like that final scene where Leatherface is like doing a dance with the chainsaw. Yes. It's like hypnotic to watch if you've made it to that point. Yes. Um, it's very like, you're right, cinematic is a really good word. For it, 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 it's just like such a bizarre scene mm-hmm. and like you're right his like physical movements that he's doing are like so disjointed and strange and just like it's a bizarre scene and the way it's framed like mm-hmm. it's like he's like backlit by like the beautiful huge sun it's like it's so weird yeah and then uh obviously a lot of gross violent stuff but actually as far as blood and gore there really wasn't a whole lot um, like, they managed to sh- frame things in such a way where bodies block, so you don't actually see him cut anyone with the chainsaw, mm-hmm. like, like directly on, it's always over their back or something. Mm-hmm. You don't see the first girl get placed on the meat hook, you see him place her there, but he's, like, standing in front, so you don't see her get, like, uh, stabbed or anything. Yeah. Um couple of the people he kills, he just beats them over with a hammer. Mm. So, not a lot. But but there is bones. Bones everywhere. Yeah. Um, just a bone house. Yeah. And uh, so that's actually, like, one of the things that is pretty iconic about it. Like, movie, of course, is iconic, but it also has built up all this information about, like, the production of this film mm. that has in itself become storied so they filmed in round rock texas which is just north of austin and it was during the summer of 1973 it's hot in texas like so they were filming in like 100 degree days on a small budget so they didn't have air conditioning on set oh god and of course it's a bloody horror picture film in this house that is covered in blood and filth and slaughterhouse type thing. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's covered in all this stuff, animal carcasses, bones. Well, you see, fake stuff is a lot more expensive to get. No. And there just happened to be a local slaughterhouse that was willing to give them a bunch of free blood or blood on the cheap. No. Blood on the cheap. They uh, used real blood. Used real blood, real like hides that they stapled to the walls, like wallpaper. Real like, all the animal products you see are basically real. What about the skin furniture? <laughs> uh, skin furniture, human skin, maybe not so much, I but mean... a lot of the human bones were, in fact, real. What? Because real human bones at the time are cheaper to buy than plastic or ceramic ones. Are you kidding? That's insane. Where were they buying these? What? How can you just From, buy like, human medical bones? institutions. What? Like, you could go allowed. to a hospital and be like, I want a bag of bones? You see what? a lot of skulls and like arm and leg bones, and I like furniture is built up. So there's like you're. Well, uh, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. Never donate your body to science. Like it's seriously gonna... don't. <laughs> and it's all this real stuff <laughs> oh inside God. of this non-air conditioned house that they are filming in seven Ooh. days a week for like ten, twelve hours. Hot, stinky. Oh. <laughs> 
It's a real horror house, like legitimately. Yeah, it, oh my it's God. it's bad. You can imagine. Um, and then you just get other like stuff happen. So I mentioned the scene where Sally, quote unquote, feeds Grandpa where oh. her finger gets cut. Well, because it's hot and stuff, there's stunt blood, like, pumping blood through a tube to make it look like her finger has been cut. It wasn't working. No. And after a few takes, you know, they're doing this kind of at the end of the day. They're tired. So Leatherface, the actor that did it, he was just tired and frustrated. And so in the shot in the movie, they actually cut her finger. No. And the actress did not know that that was going to happen. No. And he actually drinks her blood. (gasps) You are kidding. It's like, yeah, insane. That's how you know this movie was made before the AIDS crisis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so. uh, They cut her finger off? Not off. It's. How bad was the cut? I mean, it's enough to, like, for blood to well up oh, and, ew, like, ew. be there presently. And, oh, I ha- I'm still stuck on human bones. Like, <laughs> imagine you trip on set and you, like, step on and crush, like, a human skull. What? Are you interested in seeing a photo of some of the furniture? Yes, of please. Course. Yes, please. Need. Let me try to find Can we rent it for our Halloween party? Shot. Uh, I will be purchasing the real human bone. You cannot put it in our living room. (laughs) (laughs) A human bone papazon? Yeah. That'd be insane. (laughs) I think it's insane enough that it's... I'm just thinking about the American Horror Story um, Asylum. You know, what's what's his name with all the, like, human skin lamps? I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember his name. Here's the bone couch. You're kidding, you're kidding, you're kidding. Oh my god. That's sick. Uh, and that's I ma- love wait, that. that's made of human bones? Yeah. What's the what's the skin? I'm like oh scared. Imagine being the designer no. who gets to make real human, human bone. bone furniture. I mean you for, probably for like the name of a horror movie. You probably never sleep well ever again. <laughs> you probably are haunted by the bone couch for the rest of your life. When you die, you probably go to a place in which you have to sit on the bone couch for all eternity. This is horrible. Oh, my God. So, so yeah. uh, Even though the movie plays itself off as if it was true, it's not actually based on real events. It was inspired by a couple of actual mass murderers, um, namely Ed Gein, who was... Uh, he's known as the Butcher of Plainsfield, Wisconsin. He's a really famous serial killer. Um, that He's dug up bodies from graves and made furniture out of it. And I'm, mm. a lot of weird stuff, even worse than a bone couch, because it was more of, like, actual skin and yeah. a lot of, like, really sexual stuff, too. So, yeah. very gross. Uh, he was caught in 1957 and was deemed insane and so spent the rest of his life in an asylum. Mm-hmm. And then the other case that inspired a lot of this movie was actually happening about the same time that the movie was st- filmed uh, were the Houston mass murders of 1970 to 1973. Uh, this guy named Dean Coral and a couple of teenage assistants named what? David Brooks and Elmer Henley they would abduct, rape, uh, abduct, rape, kill a bunch of young and teenage 
men and boys in the time. And they ended their crime spree uh, in August of 1973. So like right as this movie is being filmed. Um, And it ended because one of the assistants, Henley, he brought like a victim home basically. And there also happened to be a young girl with this victim that they brought with them because of the circumstances of how it happened. And Coral got mad that he brought a girl there. And I mean like a 15-year-old girl. And so they begin torturing the two of them and (gasps) doing stuff. But then Henley, I guess, breaks and ends up killing Coral (gasps) and then calling the police and like confessing to everything and stuff. Wow. That is crazy. Yeah. That's insane. Um, so yeah, that's how all that happened. Um, just like the joint murders being the inspiration for the like family. It being like a family dynamic yeah. and being, you can tell that they've been doing this for a while in the yeah. movie. Like targeting like young people. Right. And so that's the Texas Chainsaw. And like I said, they've made a bunch of remakes and origin stories and uh, it's funny that you mentioned, like, if that happened nowadays, it'd be on, like, someone's Instagram, Instagram Live. Live or something. Because I'm pretty sure in, like, the most recent remake of it on, like, Netflix, I think, it's set modern times. And there's, like, scenes where people are, like, on their phones and Leatherface is, like, attacking them because it's Halloween. That's so dumb. And, yeah. They're like, oh, Gen Z, always these kids always on their damn phones, you know. <laughs> I haven't seen the re- most recent one, but I do, I do know that that was, like, an element of it. Yeah. I really recommend the 2011 version with Jessica Alba, but I just wanted a quick note on it, because I, I think it is a very, very good remake, and I do really like it. But I will say it is not for the weakest stomach, and I kind of was thinking about this when you were saying that one of the things that makes the movie so good is that it does hide a lot of the real, like, gore and violence, like, the way that it's shot and framed creatively to, you know, so you're not seeing people get, you know, stabbed or getting people cut up or whatever. In the 2011 remake, the opposite. Yeah. It is framed yeah. and shot so that you are seeing the most, like, gory, horrific stuff. And it's it's just, like, so horrible and intense to watch because the whole thing is, like, two hours of just, like, body horror and gore. But I do have a very vivid memory of again spoiler warning even though it's like a 10 plus old year movie at this point but there's a scene that i vividly remember that honestly in hindsight is kind of funny and i think it's kirk whoever's playing kirk in the 2011 version jessica alba is like going down into the basement kind of the point you're talking about where she goes into the house and sees all the like horrors awaiting her and she finds all of her friends like in various states of horror in this house but in the 2011 remake she goes down in the basement and she's like walking around and you know abject horror what is surrounding her and you hear this like one piano key going like ding 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 and she's like slowly getting deeper into the basement like more horror dawning over her face and you just see this wide shot of kirk impaled on a meat hook that's like through his chest he's missing both arms and like i think he's also missing a leg and he's hung above this piano, and with his, like, one remaining limb toe, he's, like, tapping. I think he's also missing his eyes. Like, it's genuinely so beyond the pale of what was necessary to get the horror across. Yeah. But 
It's just him tapping with his big toe on the piano. And Jessica Alba's like, Kurt? And he's like, run, Sally, run. No. Like, with the piano <laughs> but I just thought it was what I was thinking of. Because it made me laugh that in the 2011 movie, they were like, oh, creative blocking to, you know, not show horrible violence. Mm, we're going to do the exact opposite of that. It's almost laughably gory and horrific. But yeah. I just thought you'd appreciate the toe-tapping, armless, legless Kirk. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting to see modern remakes of stuff. On to our next film, shall mm. we? Drum roll, please. So, while the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was not based on true events, mm. this second Texas horror slasher film actually was. Ooh. So, 1976, Charles B. Pierce uh, released The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Ooh. and it is a film loosely based on the actual 1946 Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Mm. So about this film, I of course also watched it I'm not going to spend as much time on it because it is so boring. <laughs> oh my god, I hated it so much. I've never seen it. Me neither. So, it's shot as like a documentary type of thing. So they, they have like a narrator who goes around doing things and they're hopping around. Like they literally say only the names have been changed as far as the plot. But after reading the real stuff, like, no, no, <laughs> you're lying. Um, of course, some of it is 1970s. You know, they can't show a lot of some of the stuff on TV. Mm -hmm. But even then, it's it's so bad. I'll, I'll tell you more of, like, what the actual words are and then tell you how the plot of the movie differs from it. Mm -hmm. But as far notes on the film itself, they kept undercutting any sort of like tension and horror that they built up being like this true crime documentary type thing because they end up doing like comedic skits with all the cops what? and showing how incompetent they are. So it's literally like there's a scene where they can't find the car keys or they're in a car chase after <laughs> a suspect and they end up driving into a lake and they're like standing in the lake being like, I don't want you to drive no more. <laughs> and it's like, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm supposed to be terrified right now. And then even the villain, the phantom killer is what they call him. Mm. He is a man that is basically, he, he's just a normal guy wearing normal clothes, except he wears a mask that is a pillowcase with eye holes cut out. Like, so, I mean, a sustainable king, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, he is the best part of the movie. Um, like, he has some real crazy eyes. He doesn't say a single line of dialogue, but you hear his, like, breathing, and it's mm -hmm. terrifying and imposing figure. Mm -hmm. But even he has flaws because, like, in the chase scenes of him running down these other people, it's not like a Jason Voorhees style, like menacing, super fast, supernaturally un like how is he walking this fast and mm -hmm. not panting or anything? No, he's just like casually strolling after these people, 
which I guess could be something, but, like, you just don't feel any sense of urgency in him chasing down these people, Mm -hmm. and so it's not terrifying, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, a lot of complaints about the film. But um, the actual murders that they are based on was a series of attacks in Texarkana Mm -hmm. in the early spring into summer of 1946, Eight people were known to have been attacked, with five of them being killed mm. over the course of ten weeks. Wow. And That's so specific, too, like ten weeks. Yeah, and it was always on, like, a Friday or Saturday weekend-type thing. A lot of the victims were male-woman couples. Usually, he would go and find them at, like, lovers' lanes parked, making out, you know, whatever, and then he would attack them there and kill them. It was his usual operation. And so the first attack happened around midnight on February 22nd, and this is the only one where we have, like, any sort of physical description of him. So there's this couple that just left a movie, they're making out in the car, Um, he forces them out of the car with his gun, and it's this, like, six-foot-tall, big guy wearing this pillowcase mask. He tells him to get out of the car and tells the man to take off his pants. Once he does, he beats him over the head with the pistol, fracturing his skull. Tells the girl to run, so she does. She runs, like, to the next nearest parked car down the road to see if anyone's in there. There's not. Phantom guy pops up again. Asks her, why are you running? She's like, you told me to. And he's like, you're lying, bitch. Type of thing. And then... Very much content warning here. He sexually assaults her with the pistol. And... Leaves her on the side of the road. They both survive. (gasps) And manage to get the police there to help them. And they're able to give the physical description to the cops. The next victims were not as lucky. Um, There's another couple found dead, shot in their car by the side of the road. And then there's another couple, same thing, found shot. Except this third couple, they, it looks like they were... They put up, like, a fight. The girl looked like she actually managed to run away for a bit, but then was shot and killed uh, a few hundred yards away from the car or something. And then the last victims was actually different because it wasn't a young couple in their cars. It was an older couple at their farmhouse it's an evening they're sitting in there the husband's reading in his lounge chair by in the living room window gets shot through the window is killed the wife sees this goes to run to the phone to call the police she gets shot through the window in the face she manages to survive that and escape the house as the (gasps) phantom is trying to break in and manages to get to the neighbor's house in time to survive wow so there's like all that stuff the cops 
we're very incompetent because forensic science isn't necessarily the same as it was. They didn't even really think that all of these different murders were connected to each other because they didn't have any physical descriptions except for that first one, which is the physical description is a tall guy in a mask attacked us. It just seems crazy that in a town as small as Texarkana, you start getting these strings of, like, car shootings, and you would be like, no, not connected. It took for, like, the third attack to happen before people started thinking that they were all related to each other. Interesting. And it also didn't help that the cops thought the first couple that survived, their theory was that this couple knew who had attacked them, but were covering up for him. That's ridiculous. Because why would they do that? I don't know, but that's what the cops thought, so... That's stupid. Interesting. I do love that the movie is kind of like anti-cop propaganda. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the cops are the protagonist, but they are... They're not good at their jobs. Yeah. But the town, of course, went crazy. Mm. Because all this stuff happened, and so the common thing is said, like, before these attacks happened, no one would lock their doors at night, and now not only are they locking up their doors, they're, like, nailing their windows shut, mm-hmm. You, they're buying weapons, there's police cars going on armed patrol, and those are the only people out at night are the cops. Wow. Um, like, you had to like announce yourself before going onto someone's property because otherwise you were going to get shot. It was all that kind of crazy drama. And then it just stopped, which is like paranoid because what happened, you know? Mm-hmm. The main suspects that they had, which of course, who knows, because they Don't really did it. just stop. Um, they So one of the big theories is that they ended up catching the guy who did it on some other crimes and so he just was arrested and then spent the rest of his life in jail another one is that he just hopped town on a train or that uh the way that the movie goes is that he just stopped and lived the rest of his life hiding amongst the people as you do you know you go on a 10-week murder spree sow your wild oats then you know get back to community living right which actually, the way the movie does it is one of the more interesting parts because, of course, we never see like the actor's face. If we do see like his face or head, it's covered by a mask. Mm-hmm. But if we're like, oh, he spotted his next victim, it's through a shot of like he wears the same boots, and so it's like, oh, there's his boots. He's found his victims, you know. And so the end of the movie actually gets kind of meta. Because it's the narrator talking about how he could be among us still to this day. And it is showing a line outside the theater for this movie. And it goes along their feet and it stops on the man's boots as if he's going to see the movie about him. You know, and then it like does a little freeze frame type deal and face to black. And it's like, oh, that's cool. But the movie doesn't end there. What? It goes on and talks narration about like all the cops and stuff. Like, where are they now? And it's like, <laughs> this man's retired, but he never stopped looking. And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it would have been way up. cooler if you just ended on the boot freeze frame. Exactly. As opposed to being like, 
like a 90s like rom-com end being like where are they now <laughs> this is what they're doing like that's yeah so and, and all of them are like they retired and it's like, okay, yeah, it's been 30 f***ing years. You're like, yeah, they're a bunch of small-town Texas cops. Like, what else were they going to be doing? Um, yeah, so it's weird. But the movie has actually gone on to color a lot of, like, the myth about the actual murders. Because mm -hmm. that's just what happens whenever the movie is such a big... Not as big as, like, Texas Chainsaw, but it is a bigger pop cultural phenomena and sticks in the mind more than the actual murders. Mm -hmm. And so one of the like most egregious like changes is that in the movie, one of the girls that is killed, she is a trombone player and they are killed like leaving prom that she was playing at. And uh, she is killed whenever the phantom ties her to a tree and then attaches a knife to the end of the trombone and then, like, plays the trombone to stab oh her. That's crazy. That's crazy. So it's, like, a very unique, like, weird thing to happen, so it sticks in the minds of people that watch the movie. Yeah. Um, That's just... It, but the way I saw it, like, me being, like, cinematic nerd-type moment, I was like, is this a metaphor for sex? Because, oh. like, it's, they don't, like, show a lot of, like, the actual gore her being stabbed. Yeah. But it's a lot of, like, gruntings and yeah. like a breathing. Type of and it's, happening. like, yeah, it's a weird, like. Motion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, and then she, like, uh, it's, it's a really weird shot moment. Mm -hmm. Um, but, like, the phantom killer he like has the crazy eyes going on and so he's like really spooky in that moment mm -hmm. even if the killing itself is like it's like why is she like moaning you know it was a weird weird <laughs> yeah. choice but people think that that actually happened no they all of the victims were shot to death um wow that's in less interesting trombone murder so where the trombone comes in is that one of the victims was a saxophone player and their saxophone was missing whenever their bodies was found. And so they, I guess they picked up on that fact and were like, it's not as sexy to stab someone with a, or cinematic with a saxophone to stab them. Like that's harder. So trombone, I guess. I, that's wow. such a weird change. I feel like it would have been just as impactful if like, you know, he killed this poor, innocent girl and then, like, stole her instrument. Like, I feel like in a way that is sort of, like, an additional injustice against her that he, like, took her instrument. I didn't... I don't feel like it was a necessary, like, narrative change to make her get stabbed by the trauma. <laughs> That's such a... Like, I'm like, who in the writer's room was getting paid to come up with that? <clears throat> I don't know. They deserve a raise, though. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It was, you know, it was creative. I have to yeah, say, it yeah. was very creative. Uh, That's so funny. The, God, but so that so yeah, it had like those kind of interesting moments. But the story mm -hmm. doesn't end there. Actually, mm -hmm. with the town that dreaded sundown, uh, it's become a tradition in that town uh, where every year on Halloween they play the movie at like a drive-in movie theater in the park or something. Mm -hmm. Like it's a big town event to go watch this movie. Apparently, that's spooky. <laughs> and. In 2014, 
uh, some directors took that fact and made a sequel to the original where it is set as if someone in Texarkana watching this movie, they become like a copycat killer and start going around killing people in the modern day as the Phantom, dressed up, doing the whole shebang. Less of like the actual Moonlight Murders, but more that they are copying scenes out of the original movie. Uh, That's interesting. And I enjoyed the sequel a lot more (laughs) because it was interesting in that fact of how they managed to tie stuff in with the original, which it's weird it being meta in the sense of the original movie is a part of this film. And so they are watching this, the old movie in order to like find clues and stuff. Mm -hmm. But also some of the characters like the cops have the same names as the characters in the movie, which was weird in my mind. Like, yeah, uh, that that existed, but you know, it's whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, but not only is like just the meta part interesting, it's just scientifically a scarier movie. Again, with mm. like the modern tropes have been built up enough, and just people know how to do gore and stuff so you actually get to see a lot more blood you get to the music is more on point um the lighting is a lot better in terms of shadows and all that stuff um the phantom i i would say he doesn't have the same crazy eyes Mm -hmm. as the original one but you do get like more jump scares and He's a more intimidating figure to be chasing you because he actually is, like, coming after you, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a really cool shot where he's chasing one of his victims through, like, a field, a grass field, and, like, cuts to an overhead shot where the girl that he's chasing is, like, crawling on all fours <gasps> to keep under the grass. And it shows, like, her going off in one way. And then it shows, like, him just standing, like, a few feet beside her, like, walking in a different direction. So it's really... They do, like, really cool stuff like that. Spoiler alert for the end of that scene. She doesn't get away because she runs into the scarecrow in the field and looks up and thinks it's him. So she screams, and then he's able to find her. And then he uh, replaces the scarecrow with her. So... That sounds like a good movie. Yeah, Yeah. I, 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 I... would much more recommend the sequel, the 2014 version, to the original. And you don't really have had to have seen the original because they cut to it all the time, really. Mm -hmm. You just have to know that it exists and is a thing. But is there a recreation of the iconic trombone scene? There is. (laughs) And it is actually interesting in a good and a bad way. Um... It is instead of a woman saxophone player, it is a young gay couple. Damn. Interracial gay couple. Inclusive. Um, yeah, but it's, <laughs> they don't feel in love to me. Like, okay. I wish it had been like they were actually in, like a romantic relationship. It seemed more like they were just like, hey, let's go give each other blowjobs real quick type of yeah, thing. Yeah, that's kind of sad. And then they get caught and it's, he gets tied up and does the whole get stabbed with the trombone thing. And it mm. fully shows you what's happening Ooh. on that one. Wait, so they went 
to blow each other in the woods with their trombones? Well, they were coming <laughs> from, like, the okay. prom event. Were they both trombone players? Uh, no. I don't remember what the other one was, but, um... I mean, authoritatively, as someone who was in a Texas high school marching band, I will say trombone, it does give the gayest instrument. <laughs> I I don't know. I, no one can argue with my logic. Apparently, I, no, I won't. But uh, <laughs> no, it's that that was interesting. But I I feel like they really uh, underplayed that, and then of course it played into the kill your gaze trope. So mm-hmm. yeah. win some, you lose some. Uh, but so but another really interesting part of the sequel was they really actually deal with like the philosophical question of what should the legacy of that type of violence be? Mm. Like they seem to be asking to some extent, is it a good thing for us to have a movie? Like these are real people that died and now it's become like a pop cultural thing for us to go watch them ritualistically be killed year after year in this movie for fun. Yeah, it's so messed up that the Texarkana actually every year shows that movie. Yeah. When that actually happened. They were and like and so it like does a whole lot of shots with like mirrors and reflecting and it does the like for this movie itself is like it questions like, are we doing like the right thing? Are we remembering the right stuff about this? Because now the movie's become such a big deal that it's actively, like I said, with the trombone thing, it's actively like undercutting the truth of the real tragedy that happened. So it, I don't think it truly answered them. And of course it could be argued that it was undercut itself by making money on a movie a second time, but also Mm -hmm. asking these questions. So, you know, it's the question with art, I guess, but it, it was much more interesting overall and less boring. So, a very well done sequel in my mind. Nice. For a less than stellar original IP. But yeah, those are the two horror slasher films in Texas. I mean, is it really a slasher film? I guess no, the trombone makes it a slasher so, film. If it's just guns, it's not really a slasher film, right? So. Yeah, what are the rules? Yeah, um. I think the town that dreaded sundown is considered more of like a proto slasher mm-hmm. um, because it was because Texas Chainsaw is like considered the first slasher film. Wow. And this was mm-hmm. two years before town that dreaded sundown and really slashers. Their heyday is like the eighties and early nineties. Yeah. Um, and so it's considered proto in that it helped set up some of the story beats in terms of, you know, you get like final girl moments mm. and just the type of violence that gets done. Um, the second one, I mean, the sequel is more of a slasher in the fact that he uses knives to kill more of his victims. Um, And it's, like, visceral stabbing, stabbing. And even the gunshots are, like, blood gets sprayed and you get to see stuff. Yeah, it's... But, um... 
I feel like that poses a really interesting question because I it's made me think of when you said that, you know, the slasher heyday was really like in the eighties, early nineties, <clears throat> which is so true. Like you get so many of the really classic like Scream and, and Freddy, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy <sighs> Krueger, like Friday the thirteenth, like so many classic slashers. And I would argue that now we're moving into, at least in my perception, like the horror movies that are really getting made that are really popular are a lot of like supernatural, paranormal movies or movies that center a lot around like the horrors of kind of like modern interpersonal relationships. Like I'm thinking specifically of like A24's really big, like Hereditary and Midsommar and a lot of the horror in the movie isn't necessarily because of any, like, external force. I mean, obviously, like, there are external horror forces, but a lot of the movies, you know, uncomfortable moments and horror center around the relationships that the characters have, like, to each other. Yeah. Again, like, the paranormal movies. So I guess my question would be, since we've talked about these slasher films and kind of these classic movies, like, why do you feel like now we're seeing so... We're kind of moving into these different types of horror films, and what does it say that now this is, like, what's popular versus, you know, slasher movies and what that said about the time that they were popular? Since you guys took the film classes, posing this question for you. I mean, the fun of slashers is the gore and the violence a little bit. I guess when they first came out, it was actively had to hide the gore and the violence, but, like, it's a very, it's, like, the gut reaction and adrenaline that you feel, like, seeing like horror on screen like that but people kind of get tired of it it gets overplayed like in the Jessica mm-hmm. Alba version they got to the point where it's like maybe laughable it's so gory the toe tapping was a little much <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little much they say a lot of like the trends in horror over time are responses to societal issues that they're dealing with so you often see slasher films, especially like heyday slasher films, are considered like very moralistic mm-hmm. in terms of the worldview that they're portraying. You know, like we say, slut dies first. If you're going to have sex, you die. It's the pure virgin that gets survives at the end, scot-free, but she is traumatized because of it, you know, just doing her thing. Um, you know, you see a lot of like queer-coded characters getting immediately killed off or whatever. Um, So you have that. And then, you know, early kind of early uh, post 9-11 stuff, it could be argued like with the Saw movies Mm -hmm. and uh, all like basically torture porn, Mm -hmm. basically where we as a country, we're trying to process something deeply traumatic that happened and wanting to vent that out in certain ways mm-hmm. and, you know, it gets mirrored in real life where you got like things like Abu Ghraib, you know, where they tortured U.S. troops, tortured prisoners in um, the Middle East and stuff. And so it like we angry outlets that where you could also argue we had sort of been desensitized to that kind of violence through, you know, now we got mass shootings on a regular basis and um, so it could be argued that because we are going to more and we're changing from that direct outburst of violence because it's been overplayed and we've had enough of it and we get enough of it in our everyday life that mm. we want something else. And so the interpersonal 
could also be reflected. And I'm just spitballing here from like... I love to hear it. Keep it coming. Um, <clears throat> like a, a big part of our lives right now is this parasocial relationship between people online through social media, maybe. Mm-hmm. And so that interpersonal connectedness with people becomes the big thing. And I could see, you know, us just coming out of COVID where a lot of those ties were forcibly severed for a period of time that we could might see that be reflected in our art in the future. I love this take. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because I, I think it was really interesting to look at like what movies are saying about the culture and vice versa how culture is like affecting movies and I think it's a good a good point that slasher films came out at a time when I feel like there was a lot of reactivity against like crime and you know moral panic and the rise of the religious right and in the US epidemic. Yeah, yeah like there's much fear about like oh the state of our nation it like kind of like the moral state of the nation I, I like that you kind of point out that it manifested in these movies and so maybe wonder <clears throat> the movies that are really big and popular now in the horror genre like what that says about us as a society and I feel like Calvin really nailed on the head, but still haven't really gotten any closer to what The Conjuring, plus all of its like spinoff movies, says about us as a as a culture. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah, well, certain. Yeah. Kelly and I recently saw The Nun too. Horrible, would, horrible yeah, movie. Would not call it a modern classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Paranormal horror movies are so their own like genre mm-hmm. of horror in an interesting way. Okay, and I guess to end on this note, what's everyone's favorite paranormal, specifically, horror movie? Because I feel like that is kind of, in its own way, a very classic horror genre. It's a hard pick. I mean, Codring is, like, a very spooky one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know it. I don't know if it's my favorite in that I enjoyed it, or it was, like, the one that, like, got me the most the first time I saw it. Of course, I was probably too young whenever I saw it. I don't remember. But uh, it's called Last Shift. Mm. And it's basically um, this woman, she is working the graveyard shift at a police station that is closing. Like, it's being decommissioned. And she is, like, whenever they come get her in the morning, the building is closed forever. And so she's sitting there and a bunch of, like, weird paranormal stuff starts happening related to like a cultist that killed her father type thing that was arrested there for a time and she begins losing her mind and seeing things and it gets very creepy and yeah very spooky wow i don't know i talked to of recent movies talk to me Ooh, that one was really good actually it was disturbing but I really liked it. Otherwise, I don't know. Does Cabin in the Woods count as paranormal? <laughs> I feel like that's like, I don't even, it's like it's so own bizarre, interesting thing. I Yeah, I feel like I'll allow it because it, it touches on like every genre. So technically it does kind of count as a paranormal movie. Yeah. Good picks. What about you? I think either The Witch, mm. like The Witch with Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm genuinely so horrific it's like a master class and just like creating a horrible vibe that you yeah. have to sit in for two hours um or hereditary mm-hmm. i mean i just like 
I watched that movie and I, I watched it like three times and every time I watch it, it like still kind of like spooks me a little bit. And so many of the scenes in that movie are just like so creative and disturbing in these like horrible ways. Like I will, I will never forget the scene of, again, spoiler alert, it's an old movie of the mom's like headless body floating into the treehouse. Like, Oh, it haunts me. It's so creepy, but probably those. All good books. Well, Calvin, thank you for having us and putting uh, this all together. Of course. And uh, hopefully I, we don't give the listeners any nightmares. Or maybe we, if we do, we did a good job at telling spooky stories. Yeah, so I hope so. I'll well, go ahead and close us out. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please tell your friends about us. If those want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into the topics, I'll put some links down in the show notes. And also tell y'all the movies that we talked about. Um, Our instrumental music is by Mountaineer. You can find their stuff and more on Upbeat.io. I always want to acknowledge that we are recording this podcast on land that rightfully belongs to the Kiowa, Comanche, Tonkwa, as well as other indigenous peoples. If you have any questions, suggestions for future episodes, or you just want to say hi... You can reach out to us at History Spelunkers. That's history, S-P-E-L-U-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see y'all next time we go down the rabbit hole. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! So until next time, bye-bye. Bye. Bye.